search and rescue. They flew their own plane in here so that they could be a part of it. That's what we're talking about here. Folks just showing up at the airport asking for permission to go out and help. The Trump administration is diverting billions from the Defense Department to pay for a border wall. CBS's Ben Tracy. The Pentagon is taking $3.6 billion from 127 different military projects. Now, half of those are here in the U.S., the other half are overseas. The Pentagon is not yet saying which specific projects are going to be defunded. Michigan is on its way to becoming the first state to ban e-cigarettes with flavors borrowed from the candy counter. Governor Gretchen Whitmer. There are 13-year-olds that are vaping Fruit Loops right now that are doing lifelong damage. Health officials in Oregon reporting the first death that may be related to vaping pot. Thinking of a move for your golden years? Some suggestions live from CBS's Gary Nunn. Leading the list of best and worst places to retire? Imagine Orlando. Followed by Tampa, Scottsdale, Arizona, Charleston, South Carolina, and Miami. Wallet Hub considered such factors as quality of life, affordability, leisure activities, and health care. At the bottom of the list, Warwick, Rhode Island, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and last, Stockton, California. Deborah? S&P Futures up 26. This is CBS News. Behind every moment shared with the ones you love is a plan that helped make it happen. Learn more or find an advisor at MassMutual.com. Welcome to this guided meditation brought to you by MassMutual. Let's begin by closing our eyes. Wait, if you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. Everyone else, visualize your child getting into their dream school. Imagine their screams of joy. You feel a sense of relief. (sighs) This is how it feels to have a college savings plan. Learn more or find an advisor at MassMutual.com. Securities and advisory services offered through MML Investor Services, a MassMutual subsidiary. Welcome to Sherwin-Williams. Hi there. I heard paints are 30% off. Yep, and stains too. Right here. Mm-hmm. Only at your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Right now? Well, August 29th through September 9th. Ah, bring it in. I'm a big hugger. It's cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams August 29th through September 9th and save 30% on paints and stains with sale prices starting at $26.94. Only at your local Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. A five-year-old boy thrown from a balcony at the Mall of America is back home. Little Landon spent nearly five months recovering in the hospital and will now begin outpatient rehabilitation. The five-year-old was thrown nearly 40 feet from a third-floor balcony at the Mall of America in Minnesota in April by a stranger. He suffered significant head trauma and broken bones, needing multiple surgeries and inpatient rehab. The man who threw him pleaded guilty in June, sentenced to 19 years in prison. A GoFundMe page set up for Landon has more than a million dollars in donations. Matt Piper, CBS News. A high-profile celebrity couple shares this year's top prize for best dress. Everyone on the beach is talking about you guys. Actress Priyanka Chopra and her husband Nick Jonas are number one on People Magazine's best dress list. Magazine style director says they are exciting to watch. He enjoys fashion as much as she does. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. 
Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%. APR, 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Ready to create your own income with your own home-based business where there's no such thing as getting laid off? If a billionaire entrepreneur spent five years and $20 million searching for the next big trend, wouldn't you want to know what he found? If you're serious about making money from home without having to leave home, then write this down. www.goherenext.com. You decide your income. Get the facts now. Goherenext.com. Now that we are located in our new space in Grand Central Mall, we have received most of our fall and winter product. Here at A Work of Heart, we are just about done with all of our remodeling, but we are open for business. Come in and choose from the best selection of garden and regular flags, the best selection of framed art, and the best selection of inspirational signs in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And we have so much more. Our two laser engravers help you choose some of the most unique arts and gifts. You can add names and dates and sayings to many of the items we engrave. We also have artists that personalize many items with names and dates. Often you can take your treasure home the same day. We have a great selection of Blue Mountain and Lean and Tree greeting cards for all occasions, along with magnets, coffee mugs, and puzzles. Come see us today. That's a work of heart. Now across from American Eagle and next to Justice, Grand Central Mall, Vienna, West Virginia. Are you feeling lucky? While raising the bar in plumbing service, veteran-owned True Blue Plumbing is offering a free 50-gallon Ream hot water tank complete with free installation to one lucky winner every month. Just like and follow their Facebook page, and True Blue will contact you if you're the winner of the month. If you have questions, call 740-590-5400 or email bill at truebluplumbing.com. That's blue without an E. With a lifetime of experience and a desire to be the best in the business, True Blue is committed to being true to you. Wow, Lucas, that's another strike. Have you been practicing? I've been playing at Community Recreational Bowling every Tuesday from 4.30 to 6 at the Roller Bowl in Athens. How much does that cost? Almost nothing. For the low price of $3, I'm on the path to the PBA Tour. (laughs) PBA Tour? (laughs) Let's see you try again. Ooh, right in the gutter. Community Recreational Bowling is sponsored by Integrate Athens, a division of the Athens County Board of Developmental Disabilities. If you haven't been listening to the Sports Fan, presented by JP Contracting, here's what you've been missing. I'm your host, Lucas Moore, joined by the one, the only, Troy Bowl. If, if you watch these teams year in and year out for 10, 20, 25 years, you realize it's just, it's like a notion wave. When they go down, you know it's coming back up. They're yeah. not going to stay down. Nelson, New York does not stay down. Trimble does not stay down. The Sports Fan on 970 WATH. AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH, Southeast Ohio. 
have you seen the pictures of the uh, devastation down in the islands? What is it? Bahamas, Bermuda? No, Bahamas, I guess. Just amazing what Dorian's done down there. And it's headed north. Looks like it's going to stay offshore, but still. Lots of water and uh, wind damage likely to occur in the southeast part of the Atlantic coast of our nation. And I don't know if uh, hurricanes have anything to do with um, climate change or not, but we're going to find out today. That's our general topic is... uh, uh, joining us today, Jeffrey DeBelco. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Dave. Glad you're here. And, you know, you are an authority in many respects uh, and, and considered by many around the nation uh, in topics uh, of this nature. And, um, you know, I just, sort of, I just sort of jotted some things down. But uh, before we get too far into the, the technical stuff, uh, we want to learn a little bit about you as a person. So where were you raised? Uh, right here in Athens. Um, no I'm, kidding. Oh, yeah, I'm a townie. Um, I wasn't born here, but moved here when I was eight months old. Um, well, and, that's nearly. Yeah, exactly. So I like to count it as a true true townie. So, yeah, I grew up here, went to high school uh, at Athens High and graduated and wanted to actually uh, pursue studies in a department that my father was a faculty member in. And so that seemed a little too close to home. So went away for school and stayed away uh, for a couple decades. Now, that was like University of Maryland initially? Uh, University of Maryland for graduate school. Initially, oh. it was uh, Duke University. A couple, oh, okay. couple of us went down to Duke um, from that class in Athens and then, um, spent a couple decades plus in the Washington area, some of it at the University of Maryland College Park, and then working in Washington. Didn't think I'd have an opportunity, uh, necessarily to come back to Athens, although I'd always, um, thought that would be tremendous. Uh, but the stars aligned and seven years ago had a chance to come back and join the faculty here at Ohio University in the Voinovich School. And, How cool um, is that? It was terrific. It's been fantastic. So tell me about your father. Was he? What was the uh, uh, area of, of um, education that he was in? So he was a political scientist in the Department of Political Science here, and my mom was at uh, Hawking College initially teaching English and then was um, uh, in a variety of administrative positions. And so they were both in education and uh, really um, – set a high value for that endeavor, one that I then was pleased to be able to pursue coming back. Uh, Scott, are you back there? No, he isn't at the moment. Anyway, did you two grow up together at all? Um, So uh, Scott and I uh, knew each other from what was one of Athens uh, and Ohio University's uh, fantastic meeting points, and that was uh, Grover Center when it was a gymnasium. Of course, of course. And so three days a week with open gym, it was a formative experience. Literally grew up there, uh, so to speak, in that gym um, where it was, uh, in some respects, a pure meritocracy. So everything from the Ohio University student basketball players at the highest level, um, but down to those of us who were middle school and high school kids allowed to play in the game. Um, but uh, you know, back at the old... Um, Former provost Jim Bruning was a regular, um, and oh, yeah. um, other faculty like my father were playing there all the time. And so, 
Scott and I were one of many who I played on the court. Uh, pickup basketball, you know. I played uh, uh, what do you call it? Volleyball. Yeah. Uh, several different things down there back when it was in that mode. Yeah, it's still surreal to walk in there as a classroom, and obviously, yeah. it's an excellent home of the College of Health Sciences and Professions. And um, but teaching a class in that building, as I have done, was a bit surreal with uh, <laughs> having having been there before on the basketball court. Sure. Well, uh, so I, I had somehow or other completely missed that uh, history that you, you are an Athenian in many ways. Absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> so you're, you're father a political scientist. Uh, you fell into a little more mm, scientific way. Uh, you, you, you became more interested in, well, the environment well, and, and the climate and you know, all these sort of things, and then even some very <clears throat> um, concerning things like peace building. Mm-hmm. And, and so how, what, what, um, how did that come about? Yeah. Well, so um, I finished up undergraduate school, started working in Washington, D.C., and then did graduate school right at a particular time that you'll remember well, which was the end of the Cold War. And so I was still very much interested in political science and particularly internationally focused. And it was at that time that uh, kind of uh, literally the world was rocked, but particularly if you were studying international relations, that which you'd focused on, which was the U.S.-Soviet Union competition, um, suddenly changed. And there was newly room for topics like environment and poverty and health concerns that had been there all along, but had not been looked at in terms of wider foreign policy and even security policy context. So I was somebody who was studying it from that political angle and then came to the environment um, as from the kind of politics and practice of managing the environment for good and for bad. Um, and so in that sense, didn't come up with a natural science or engineering background in that kind of technical, what we often think of as the sciences, um, but needed to understand those dynamics and then look at how they were um, impacting uh, humans, communities from individual all the way up to international. And um, in many respects came to understand that say, natural resource management is conflict management. There are multiple um, multiple ideas and actors wanting to do different things with those natural resources. And so that contestation often resolved amicably, but often competing visions for it. And so that was um, a set of topics in terms of understanding how they might contribute to conflict and how uh, turning it on its head, how it might actually cooperation let's, might be a force for peace. Let's put a year now. The year in which you would say the Cold War was coming to an end? Uh, between 89 and 91. Okay. Uh, because my time in Washington was primarily through the late 70s and um, uh, all through the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but by 89, I was back in Athens mm-hmm. full time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so... That all kind of clicked in about the time I left that area, right? Yeah, no, that that's right. And although it is notable um, that uh, the consistency of uh, looking at this issue, even if it wasn't prominent, across um, uh, p- 
parties and across time. So it was under, in the 80s when you were there under the Reagan administration where there were starting to be these kinds of investigations, even while the Cold War was going, in terms of understanding what the impacts may be. And some of the early antecedents were, say, the 1970s focus on um, use of defoliants in Southeast Asia and what the environmental impacts of that strategy strategy was. But in the 80s, it started to get uh, more attention under the Reagan administration and then even more under the first Bush administration mm-hmm. um, and and then continued with greater momentum uh, under the two Clinton administrations. And so um, while you were there, those conversations were happening. They weren't particularly prominent, but um, they nevertheless were laying the groundwork for what's a wider discussion today. Well, my initial uh, duties there were that of... of um being responsible for Cambodia and Laos okay, during so, the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, later I had a fellowship with the White House. So. Ah, I, see, I see. Anyway, so let's, let's talk about this. Uh, let's do some definitions. Okay, so um, we're going to use the general term that all of these pertain to the environment. Mm-hmm. They're environmental. Mm-hmm. Peace building. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Environmental peace building. So, as I mentioned, a lot of the focus has been on how the scarcity or, in some cases, abundance of, of valuable resources might contribute to conflict. We wanted to turn it on its head and say the fact that two communities are dependent on that same water source or a forest cover crosses a, a political boundary, the need and the desire to have to work together or at least coordinate around the management of that resources can we use that need for long-term interaction as a way to actually build hopefully patterns of cooperation trust confidence and hopefully eventually peace and so we looked at um, often between two countries where there is uh, contestation so for example uh, I and another faculty colleague regularly take students to the the Balkans, mm-hmm. to countries of the former Yugoslavia that within the last um, 20 years were literally in a civil war. So they're brand new countries in Kosovo and Montenegro, but they were on either side of a war. Right now, they're working their way back and have tremendous challenges. But in Is those, there cooperation? There is. And it's often not necessarily between the capitals, but it's between those communities on either side of the border that have common interests around the forest resources, the biological resources, the prospect for earning a living through uh, coordinated tourism that focuses on the natural environment. And so in that respect, environmental management is a tool towards a peace-building goal. And so they have environmental goals, but really we're saying these these wider uh, recovering from conflict uh, objectives can be served through environmental collaboration. Environmental security. Mm-hmm. Okay, security. Um, but you add the word environmental security. What mm-hmm. um, lay that out? For sure. Us. So at that same period in the late '80s, early '90s, it had a couple strands that led folks to create this umbrella term, environmental security. On the one hand, uh, it was a concern that the depletion of natural resources, whether they be forests or particularly scarcity of water were contributing to the violence that you'll remember in those early 90s periods. We saw the civil wars in West Africa. Mm -hmm. We saw Somalia, the coup in Haiti. 
and um, there was a, a lot of interest and concern and um, that the scarcity of resources were part of um, instigating those conflicts and perpetuating them. So they were part of what was being the resources fought over. At the same time, there was this wider discussion of, okay, the Cold War is over. How are we going to frame our larger security perspective? We had a strategy of containment of communism as our primary strategy. And so there was a battle of ideas of what other issues uh, needed to be a part of how we constituted security. In that sense, it was a challenge to the traditional um, uh, uh, definitions of security that focused on use of force as the toolkit um, and kind of a zero-sum game, uh, if you win, I lose perspective on security and said, we need to reconsider this. Some labeled it human security that incorporated environmental components to understand it's not just countries we need to secure, but communities and even individuals. And so it was a wider definition of uh, what it was that had to be secured and how we did that. Those were going on simultaneously in ways that uh, led to um, both, in some ways, a substantive analytical argument, what is challenging us, but also a political argument in terms of who was going to get the peace dividend of the budgets that um, were imagined to be newly available because we weren't in this Cold War competition with the Soviet Union. Now we've got governments involved and in, in nations and so on. So the next question would be environmental politics. Mm-hmm. How you know how does that help or hurt um, these efforts? Well, I think it's it's um, it could be both. And in many respects, we have politics about all sorts of issues. We have politics around health care. We have politics um, uh, around education. And the environment's one other area that um, we have political structures to manage. And so there are contested visions of how we do that. Some of it is about short-term gain versus long-term gain. Some of it is about... Uh, your optimism or pessimism as to how we can substitute the uh, ecosystem services that uh, wetland uh, provides in terms of cleaning our water, for example. Mm. Um, And so in that sense, um, for me, as somebody studying political science and international relations, it was really the politics of how we manage these resources and how they were very political uh, institutions doing it. And, And so it's uh, can be done well and it can be done poorly, and we've certainly seen examples of both. The, um, the I'm not sure it's the last thing, but environmental security. Mm-hmm. Um, without cooperation, is there security? Well, in that particularly in this realm, um, the answer would be no, because. Yeah. So many of the issues we face today uh, ignore political boundaries, and we are at a level of environmental interdependence. We're dependent on each other for our well-being. Clean air doesn't um, uh, obey political boundaries. Uh, The atmosphere, particularly when we start talking about climate change, the carbon emissions or methane emissions here affect uh, us at a global scale. And so if we are going to organize ourselves to address some of these challenges, we must have cooperation that is within the country and, and certainly with, with um, countries overseas, because otherwise uh, we just aren't, aren't able to, to redress the problems in a meaningful way. Now, 
um, there's another term that is used often in, throughout your papers, and you have your CV is impressive, mercy, um, long, and I've been through most of it. Um, I can't say I read all your well, papers by not. any means, not. but well, maybe if you had trouble getting to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Define that to us. Well, biodiversity is a term actually um, coined by a, a friend of mine, Thomas Lovejoy, who started in graduate school studying uh, the tropical uh, rainforest in Brazil. And it's really a catch-all term for the natural world, uh, the, the, the plants and the animals, uh, big and small. And it's a, it's a notion that those, um, those biologic resources are, are important individually, but really as a collective, um, the kind of web of life, literally, is critically important for a lot of things we take for granted, for the clean water, for the clean air, for developing medicines that um, cure and, and um, prolong our lives and make them better, um, that they are uh, important in and of themselves, but particularly this kind of storehouse of uh, genetic material in these in these different species are something that... Um, we we need to pay greater attention to we're losing uh, through extinction of species very rapidly and um and it warrants uh the attention of those beyond biologists in a lab or out in the field now you know in in recent months there's been a great deal of uh, uh reporting of the um, the amazon and the fires mm-hmm. And the uh, destruction of um, the, the the plant life and mm-hmm. so on mm-hmm. associated with the Amazon River. Now we all know we humans, animals, whatever. Um, the most important component we breathe is that of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important component that plants breathe, if you will, is carbon dioxide. And then they um, produce oxygen off of that. Which then, so there's this cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, they are very concerned that this, what's happening in the Amazon, but it's happening at smaller scales in many other places too. Sure, absolutely. That's an important point is going to produce, and here's a term we've used for some years now, climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been an odd summer. Uh, is this truly some effect of climate change, or is it just a fluke? Well, so climate change, like biodiversity, is a big term that encompasses a lot of changes that are going on. And the Brazilian uh, Amazon, as are all our forests, but particularly our tropical forests, are critically important in part because, as you say, they um, absorb carbon dioxide and what's called um, a carbon sink. So it sinks or contains uh, carbon. Oceans are another big sink of carbon dioxide. And so the loss of those forests from a climate change perspective uh, are, is, is critically important because it means they are absorbing less carbon and, and the burning of, of, the, of the trees um, releases more carbon into the atmosphere. Carbon being critical 
because it contributes to the greenhouse effect or the holding of heat mm-hmm. inside the atmosphere and the rising temperatures and the kind of multiple things that result from those rising temperatures. So the increased deforestation of Brazil is certainly a concern from that perspective, um, both because it's not holding that carbon and it's also releasing more into the atmosphere. There are... um, uh, so that kind of loss of forest is a huge contributor. Of course, the other really big one is the burning of fossil fuels, which um, we all do at different levels. And coal is more carbon um, intensive than than natural gas, but um, all fossil fuels. And so that, um, in many respects, has all these different causes that uh, in many ways we're all contributing to, which, of course, makes it the problem uh, more complicated and challenging to redress. Now, I have I have toured uh, coal mines mm-hmm. on um, probably a half dozen occasions. Mm-hmm. Long wall operations. Um, I can't remember all the terms, but different types of mines. Mm-hmm. I've taken the faculty from industrial technology down to see it because they have many students that were going to be in that business years ago, but uh, they themselves had never seen a mine, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, I have been to the power plants, both nuclear and conventional coal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the steps that they have, I don't know, required or volunteered to undergo to clean the emissions are expensive and uh, pretty effective. Um, do you, if if you, Jeff DeBelco, were designing the world, Uh-oh. yeah, what would you like to see um, in lieu of what exists? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think there's an imperative for us to make a, a transition to what are called um, uh, greener tech, greener energy technologies. I think there's both a need on the change on how we supply our energy and then also on the demand side. I think we actually talk very little about how um, there are ways How to, wasteful we are. How wasteful we are and so tremendous gains that could come with efficiency and it's not, you know, it's nothing that needs to be invented, right? It's about mm-hmm. providing some incentives and assistance and, and, and education about the benefits of things as simple as insulating your house and better windows and, and such. Um, uh, and, and at the same time, um, that is a difficult transition for a lot of reasons. One, because we have spent a lot of money and we have built infrastructure and that's changing. And so part of the challenge, if you are a company, is knowing where we are going from the policy environment, from what we're seeing in terms of the impacts of the different energy choices we have. And so the the manifestation now, increasingly obvious of climate change, suggests that there are a whole bunch of negative incomes from a high carbon energy uh, economy. And so at the same time, there's a lot of money to be made in making this transition. Um, and at present, um, some American companies are making that money, but in part because other governments are incentivizing that transition, a lot of other um, 
countries and companies overseas are are gaining the economic benefits of of investing in research and technology uh, development in in solar and wind and um, uh, biofuels and some of these other uh, non carbon based energy sources and so in that respect. I think there are compelling reasons to make that transition. I think it's also really important to look at just the economic calculus. It is with particularly the explosion of uh, um, the American provision of natural gas, it is cheaper to move away to other sources than coal. Um, and in part because of the the what one has to do to put on scrubbers, largely not to um, it's not focused on on carbon, but focused on the other chemicals Sulfurs. that contribute exactly yeah. the acid dealing with the acid rain um, uh, challenge. And so, in that respect, um, whether it is uh, uh, nuclear power, which of course is has its controversies, is um, relatively uh, uh, carbon-free energy source. Um, right now, enjoying a lot of big subsidies that the other renewables are not. You know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no I, I I have been in several nuclear plants, mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated by them, and they are so efficient um, with... You know, the only downfall or the only bad thing is should there be an accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why hasn't our nation undertaken the idea of designing the nuclear power plant mm-hmm. and never building one that varies from that model mm-hmm. so that parts are universally interchangeable? The costs would then be uh, more reasonable on a per-installation basis. Um, the problems would be better understood as they occur because they're all the same and people are have been... You know what I'm saying? Uh, sure, I do. But I do. right now, they're all custom. Right, and I think that um, in part is... Customized. The, um in this instance, the challenge of a free market capitalist economy means those different businesses compete and they try to innovate in ways that make their – ultimately their objective would be for their technology to be the one that's adopted that way. Mm. And so that um, that kind of marketplace leads to that diversification. I think also because uh, different usages and dif- different regulations in terms of um, size and placement and such – um, well, you know, I mean, there's coffee makers, okay? It comes down to there's five or six coffee makers, and they're all good. And then there's a bunch that haven't done too well, and they've disappeared. You know, I don't mean one singular plan or one singular company, but if they all, if it just got tightened up to where you had uh you know, safety being number one. And, um, well, you know where I'm going. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think part of the challenge there is that even if you had that kind of ideal type, um, I think part of it is an economics question. How much uh, um, subsidy is required in order to make the um, the energy it's producing affordable? 
um, how much risk one is willing to tolerate in terms of particularly placement on fault lines as they are in California mm. uh, and such in terms of, as you said, low probability but extremely high negative outcomes. And so if one is uh, making a, a risk assessment, then it still becomes more expensive in that sense because of that possibility. Um, and then I think back to you asked about environmental politics or energy politics. It's really difficult to get a, um, a publicly elected official to say, yes, please bring one of these facilities into my community. Uh, or it's at least highly contested um, because of the uh, public opinion that is worried about that small probability of, uh, of an accident and what that might mean for them and their, or their families. And so the politics of citing a coal plant is different than a nuclear plant, which is different than a, than a solar array or uh, a windmill. Now, uh, solar. Um, let's talk about that a little bit, although I didn't mean to get into these specific technologies too much. Um, you know, solar is constantly being improved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone who put solar panels on their home 10 years ago, today the solar panels are uh, uh, even better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, it's one of those things you keep thinking, well, when should I do it? Because they're constantly... Uh, Making them better. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Those technology um, changes are happening quite rapidly. It doesn't make it uh, a question of early adopters versus waiting to, as you say, the the benefits of of more advanced technologies. I think... um, I think a big calculation is how long do you expect to be in your home um, in terms of recouping the uh, recouping the upfront capital costs and then the really, in, in some sense, almost uh, over time, uh, diminishing to nearly free energy that comes from that source. Um, I think it, the, these technologies are going to always evolve. And so in some sense, you'll be waiting forever because they're going to continually improve. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is about the kind of politics of, um, you know, for example, some states will not let you generate more energy from your home solar power and put that back into the grid and in some ways get paid for that generation. Um, and so that's a political decision that is favoring the big yeah, uh, I don't understand that. energy providers, yeah, yeah. particularly out west, that's the case. And so, you know, there, there, as in all of this, there's plenty of, of politics. And so part of it is how do we align the incentives to uh, see the changes and make it easier for you to make that decision to go with this investment and address those upfront capital costs that definitely make it not available to everybody. Um, and, and yet um, see lots of community benefits from making that transition. You are literally on dozens of different um, um, organizations, their boards and and, um, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, on these various topics that we're bringing up and others too. Um, So when when you folks meet, Uh and, and how do you determine what is what we should be focusing on today. Mm-hmm. And then what is it that we would do better waiting a bit to work on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, setting priorities. It's absolutely 
a challenge. And it, it in, in some respects, it depends on kind of which board and which institution. The good ones, I think, both take um, the steps of having short-term immediate priorities but keeping their eyes on the longer-term issues. In some cases, uh, the real challenge comes um, particularly with climate change. You need to, you need to make... Um, uh, decisions that often cost money and require different behaviors to avoid problems that are still um, years, sometimes even decades down in the future. So you're making investments now for something where you don't necessarily realize the benefits right away. And that's that's difficult. Um, but nevertheless, because we have a, a lag in the system, the carbon that we're uh, um, emitting now or the methane emissions, they stay in the atmosphere for for decades. And so those decisions now are going to have impacts uh, decades hence. Um, I, I think um, lots of different ways. I think in some ways um, there are lots of ideas and then you cross those ideas with is the window of opportunity from a political standpoint available. So you have to have those ideas ready. And whether at, that is at a community level, a state level, a national level, or in international uh, negotiations of the, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, there are different opportunities where those ideas can come to the fore. And so those are all part of the calculations in terms of what one prioritizes today. So if, if Jeffrey DeBelco, um, professor and associate dean at the George Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs here at OU. And you're now representing, you know, your, many of the things you've learned and believe in, mm-hmm. as well as the university, as well as some of your um, um, comrades mm-hmm. in this, mm-hmm. this area. What, what do you think are the most important things to focus on short term? Mm-hmm. Well, we really do need to be able to kind of walk and chew gum at the same time um, because there are, are multiples. I think um, the importance of climate change to our economy and to our health uh, and ultimately to a broad notion of security dictates that we prioritize things like a, a green energy transition and really, in some ways, having a and this can be at an individual level as well as society, have a process where we think about how we define our good life, so to speak, and make a transition away from bigger is better and more is better, and it's about how much can I consume, to a a sense of I'm going to define the good life by acquiring experiences and things that aren't necessarily tied to consumption, consumption largely of energy or production of plastics that we know is is fouling our oceans and streams and soils. Um, and so that's kind of an, an immediate priority. I think the other is to to really integrate and break down the silos between other really important areas. So it's not kind of a sense of, oh, we just need to do the environment and we'll be all okay. It's that we need to understand that we need to combine these things with education, with health, with poverty alleviation, and in part because they are connected, um, that intuitively makes sense. But, boy, we make it hard to work outside our silos or our lanes where the health people do health and the, the mm-hmm. job and economic growth people do jobs and economic growth and education and such. And so in many respects, it's about finding ways to integrate those efforts 
because they are interconnected. And then we can, uh, in some ways, pursue these objectives, uh, these priorities uh, together and not have to make trade-offs that leave important um, important issues uh, 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 so, behind. So then what is it that might be okay to push back to long term mm -hmm. that um, uh, generally speaking, um, you know, we have, we can make different, some differences quickly. Some will take longer. Um, some are a lower priority so they can wait till longer. <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm saying it well, but yeah, you get no, the point. Well, I do. I do. And um, it's a tough question. Uh, in part of because the interconnections. I mean, you could say, well, is it climate change or is it biodiversity, uh, or is it, um, uh, or you could say between those two. Well, they really are interconnected. If we don't address the climate change, we're going to see increased species extinction. We, we change the temperature of the oceans, of the atmosphere. That's really going to affect which species thrive and which ones um, don't. <laughs> um, and Unfortunately, some of those changes are going to mean things that really matter for us, like uh, how it connects to our food supply and agriculture and fisheries. Those are going to um, be ways that uh, in, some, in some respects, it's not, a, it's not a false choice, but it's one that, um, like I said, really requires that we have a multidimensional strategy for tackling these priorities. Um, I, I do think... Uh, you also get a different answer um, for what that what those priorities may mean if you're living in downtown Columbus or you're living in out in uh, Appalachian counties of Ohio. Um, those priorities at some level are the same, but the kind of immediate issues are obviously different. Um, Jeffrey, you Jeff, you've um, we're raised here, mm -hmm. um, but you attended Maryland. Um, the University of Maryland and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, and, and Duke, um, and then um, um, Oxford, um, which is in Great Britain. Yep. Um, and, and you have your doctoral degrees, of course, and all these sort of things, and, and you've been so engaged in this whole general topic basically all your life. What do you feel have been some things you could say, we've been successful in this? Mm -hmm. And then, you know I'm going to go the inverse way. What are some that you're disappointed at? Right. Um, I would say, uh, give you a, a really specific example in that environment, peace, and conflict arena. When um, this topic came up in the 90s and even the early 2000s, um, if we were one of the audiences we were engaging was the United Nations, and particularly those who are dealing with humanitarian um, crises and, and conflict. So the, the blue helmets would be an obvious manifestation. And much of the um, response was, Yes, I'm sure that's important, but it's not a priority. We're about stopping wars now. We're about disarm, disarming the combatants. We're about restarting the economies and such. And it was kind of a, a notion of environment as hugging pandas and hugging trees and what you did once you were rich, peaceful, and democratic. But right now we didn't have time for that. We're 
This is about the kind of high politics of, of war and peace and, and restarting economies. And that view has changed uh, for many, not all, uh, but particularly within the UN system where they said, you know, it's not about, as they did take one of my colleagues working on environmental issues in post-conflict settings, it's not about taking them to the zoo and worrying about the, the animals in the zoo, although I'm sure that's important as well. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding that if the people can't drink the water or there isn't water available, how are you going to get the economy started and have a lasting peace? It's about if you don't understand the the strategy of buying off the rebel forces by giving them the forestry ministry or the minerals ministry, that's going to sow the seeds of future conflict because it's it's giving away the wealth of the nation. It's giving them a means to arm themselves further and continue the war. And so suddenly environment natural resources was absolutely critical to get to peace and get to a sustainable peace. That's a change that's happened based on research and advocacy and, frankly, a- analyzing how some of these um, civil wars that came after the, the Cold War have, have played out. And so in, you know, in a, s- a small sense, that has been seen as a success. It's also been uh, in the same realm, the lots of headlines about coming water wars. Well, it turns out that countries actually uh, don't particularly start wars over water because it's just not a very efficient strategy for getting the water. It's much much more efficient to import food if your water is scarce in the form of virtual water, so to speak. Um, and that's a realization that actually if we spend some time and effort, we can use that collaboration and that interdependence around water for a source for peace. For things that we haven't done well, I, I think we're, um, we have had the science uh, on questions like the changing, um, changing temperatures and the impacts of climate change now for a while that should have generated greater response and action from political institutions from international down to the local. Some are doing it, um, and I think it is important to not just default to what a given national government is doing and whether this administration is forward or backward leaning. That's clearly important. But for example, now uh, in the United States, you have States like California, which would be the fifth or sixth largest economy as a country, if it were its own country, uh, really pushing forward and innovating um, on the technology side as well as the policy side. You have businesses and companies, large and small, finding that, A, there's, um, there are a, lot of, there's a lot of money to be saved or a lot of money to be made by making a green energy transition and, and having a, a true sustainability approach. Um, and then governors and and um, and local officials, where they really have to deliver results, are ones that are finding um, innovations that uh, should be exciting. Now, how we aggregate those up and and invest in them is continues to be a challenge that I don't think we've done nearly as well as we need to. Um, you know, we always like to be proud of being Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think America's working hard on these topics. But name another country or two that just really rock your boat. Um, sure. Well, I'm biased in this regard because I'm married to one. But Den- uh, Denmark, um, uh, somebody from Denmark. But Denmark you, is really. You're saying your wife is Danish. Exactly. Thank okay. You. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, but uh, it's given me an opportunity to learn, and they really are leaders in, in wind power. Uh, they're um, in, in transportation. They've 
uh, major parts of Copenhagen are closed to uh, to car traffic, and they've made it walkable city. They've had really invested in public transportation. Now they have some real advantages. It's a relatively small and wealthy country, mm -hmm. um, but they really are developing technologies that can apply around the world, and they are finding ways to uh, not have a political divide in terms of. Um, uh, the views of, of these issues, they've taken it out of a partisan. They have plenty of divides politically, but uh, around uh, environment and is not is not one of them. Um, I think uh, in many respects, uh, one that's really interesting and has a very, we'll call it mixed legacy, is China. On the one hand, tremendous consumption of resources. Um, at the other hand, um, lots of innovation. Everything They're building everything big and fast and um, they are, um, you know, the biggest producers of solar panels in the world and such. Um, so I wouldn't hold it up as a, a, a shining example, but a really interesting example where there are lots of things that are very problematic, particularly in the biodiversity space. Is, uh, is there a country or two that should be ashamed Oh, in many respects, most of us. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, there's plenty of blame to to go around. Um, I think uh, we all we all have our our crosses to bear in, in this respect. And so, depending on the issue area and such, I mean, um, you know, per capita, Australia is the largest contributor to um, of carbon dioxide in part because there are not very many many of them. They produce a lot of cement that is very carbon intensive and such. Um, you know, so, and at the other times, they're doing some really interesting innovations in how they manage their increasingly scarce water supply because they're suffering under extreme heat events. So they are both an innovator and a, a laggard, in, depending on which area you're looking at. Well, um, I, I suspect you're going to be engaged in this review of everything for the rest of your career. There's plenty to do for and, me and, and somebody else has to come along to follow you because this is not going to end no nope. it it only gets more and more concerning right well that that's right and but at the same time you know almost kind of time immemorial i'm teaching a graduate class now on sustainability and some of the roots of that are just Literally going back to you know how how much food can um, how what, how big a population can be sustained by how much food and so that was one issue for the hunter gatherers and then for those agricultural societies and now for us and in part it's understanding what implications all our behaviors have in terms of where we live how we move what we eat and um, uh, negotiating those uh, those limits are, are ones that we're going to always have. I'm hoping that uh, you can snap your suspenders for a minute, uh, if you know that expression. Um, the point is um, universities throughout the nation, mm -hmm. uh, some have uh, really put a lot of interest in this or uh, time into this whole point. Mm -hmm. Others, not so much. Uh, I have the feeling OU, Ohio University, um, really is unique. Uh, so snap your suspenders if it's possible. So I, means boast. Uh, right. Um, I am. Um, I am constantly impressed with the people and the efforts here at Ohio University in this space. 
it ranges across the colleges, the disciplines, the faculty, the professional staff, and the and the students. And so it is, in many respects, in, inspiring to go into the classroom and go into meetings that are um, often, uh, and this is, I think, a, a point of distinction, working with um, the community, the state, the nation, and internationally. So we're, we're it's it's an engaged. Um, it's an engaged approach that understands that we are not just a campus. We're part of uh, multiple communities. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that is a, has been identified as a priority by President Nellis and um, uh, uh, sustainability efforts and the um, sustainability plan, the climate action plan are undergoing um, the regular revision process. And so the people leading the charge there have really been reaching out for all sorts of collaboration and inputs and how we do that. And um, those have been at the same time integrated with the efforts and the leadership that our local public officials have been exhibiting. Um, and and those um, sit, sitting at a place like the Voinovich School, it's really in our DNA that it is an externally facing engagement with a variety of uh, community partners. And so... Are there a couple other schools that really rock your boat? Um, sure. We've had um, uh, some of our faculty colleagues and some of our students go out to Arizona State uh, where they have a school of sustainability and have really kind of uh, in some ways brought together people from different departments and disciplines under a single umbrella and had a very applied approach to how we not only understand and study these issues but how we make change. Um, and some of those students have come back to Ohio uh, working in this space and really contributing. Um, here in Ohio, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, o Oberlin as a, as a leader in terms of walking the walk, in terms of, um, of sustainability and the actions and how they, um, how they both teach their students but how they interact I always with their think community. highly of Oberlin. Um, well, they, in they whatever they do. Yeah, well, they've had some really strong um, thinkers and leaders in mm. this space that have, have in some ways, kind of oriented the whole university to have uh, uh, sustainability at its uh, as a central organizing principle. So, say three years from now, I have you back in. Mm -hmm. Not that we have to wait that long, but well, what's going to be different? Well, we only have 30 seconds or so. Okay. Um, I hope that we are farther along in understanding that it is, um, there are different ways to do this approach, but we all need to pull it out of the political context and understand that we're in this together and find ways to uh, work across lines of division that right now are, are pretty bright. Uh, and we need to find ways for those collaborations that are really the only way we're going to make fundamental progress. Jeff DeBelco, Dr. DeBelco, listen, um, this is a hugely important thing to all mankind uh, throughout the world. So, uh, you know, as things pop, uh, feel free to get back to me and say, hey, I, I've got something that I think I need to share. Terrific. That's a great opportunity. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, tell my friend Roxanne thanks for thinking of you. Absolutely, I will. We are out of time, folks. When you hear the tone, it is.
10. This is CBS News on the Hour. Real news, real reporting. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. You too will pay a record fine for collecting information about kids without their parents' consent. The details live from correspondent Gary Nunn. The $170 million penalty will settle Federal Trade Commission allegations against YouTube, owned by Google, that it unlawfully obtained data about young viewers without getting approval from their parents. According to the complaint, YouTube earned millions of dollars, then used the information to target advertising to children. The penalty is the largest ever by the FTC against Google. Deborah? Sale of e-cigarettes with flavors like Fruit Loops and Banana Split may be snuffed out soon in Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has ordered the state health department to prohibit the sale of vaping products that target children. We see it every day. We see this constantly bombarding kids with this as a healthy option, getting kids hooked on nicotine before their brains are fully formed. And now we're seeing kids showing up with respiratory problems. Health officials in Oregon are reporting the first death believed to be linked to vaping THC. Hurricane Dorian is dumping torrential rain on Jacksonville, Florida right now. The storm is heading up the coast toward Georgia and the Carolinas, where many schools and businesses are closed. They've begun to size up the devastation in the Bahamas, Dorian's first stop. CBS's David Begno is in Nassau. From the air, flying over Abaco Island, the damage stretches for miles. Entire neighborhoods flattened, homes shredded, shipping containers and boats hurled inland. Some airports look like lakes now. Storm blamed for at least seven deaths in the Bahamas. All 34 people who were below deck on a dive boat that caught fire off Southern California are now presumed dead. Dale Sheckler was supposed to go on the trip but canceled. He says he can't imagine. The horror of what it must have been like for those on board and now what the families are going through. There could be more drama on the way in the battle over Brexit today. CBS's Vicki Barker joins us live from London with the story. This is the sound of the world's oldest deliberative democracy today. British lawmakers furious at the populist Boris Johnson's attempts to bypass them have taken back control of the Brexit process. But now he's threatening to put all their jobs on the line and call new elections before the next big EU summit. The public will have to choose who goes to Brussels on October the 17th to sort this out and take this country forward. Forward politics here keeps getting sucked back into the Brexit impasse. Deborah? The Dow is up 175 points. This is CBS News. CBS News Radio is your home for breaking news. With our team of reporters around the country and the world, we give you the coverage you can trust. How easy is it to find the best new hires with Glassdoor? Yeah, kind of like that. Post your job? And just like that, it's available to over 67 million job seekers. And Glassdoor only matches you with qualified applicants. So you can make the best new hire in half the resumes. Plus, Glassdoor hires are 30% more likely to stay with your company longer. Hire better, hire faster. Start your free trial today at glassdoor.com slash hire. Discount travel sites say they have the best prices, but Hilton.com has the price match guarantee. Look me in the eye. If you find a better rate, they match it and take 25% off. Yeah, well, this is radio, so just stare at the radio. Hilton.com has the best prices. Pinky swear. Or, you know, radio swear. Plus, you can choose your exact room and get free Wi-Fi. Cross my heart, stick a needle in my radio. Expect better. Expect Hilton. Must be a Hilton Honors member. Applicable terms and conditions at Hilton.com. Pinky swear. 
All kinds of things get mixed up in hurricanes, including reptiles. Correspondent Peter King has been riding out Dorian along the North Florida coast. The wind and rain can displace animals from their normal habitats, and snakes are at the top of that list because, like humans, they like to head for higher ground. Fish and wildlife officials are telling people here to look out for gators in flooded areas as well. And with so much rain, those areas can turn into mosquito breeding grounds, so we're being told to drain flower pots and other containers that tend to collect water during a storm. Peter King, CBS News, Orlando. Oprah may be coming to a city near you soon. Hello! She's embarking on a nine-city arena tour to promote healthier lifestyles. It kicks off in Fort Lauderdale on January 4th. Oprah will be working with Weight Watchers Reimagined to stage the shows. She is a part owner. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Did you know that the IRS is getting more aggressive these days? They're using private agencies to track you down and even started taking away passports. Don't wait. If you owe more than $10,000, take advantage of the Fresh Start Initiative, a program in place that can help you now. You can save thousands and possibly have your taxes forgiven. Join the thousands of taxpayers who made the call to get protection from IRS collections. Call the experts at Oxford Tax Partners now about the Fresh Start program. If you qualify, it'll stop the IRS collection agencies from coming after you. Let the IRS negotiation experts at Oxford Tax Partners get you protected once and for all. Call the hotline now at 800-575-1919. That's 800-575-1919. There's help for those of you who owe $10,000 or more, but it's important that you take action before these programs change. Call the tax experts at Oxford Tax Partners for a free consultation now at 800-575-1919. 800-575-1919. That's 800-575-1919. Alpine Heating and Cooling is a local, veteran-owned HVAC contractor providing you comfort with their best guaranteed prices, 24-7 emergency service, 10-year warranties on new systems, and free estimates. Alpine, with a Y, uses quality products from top brands like Ream and LG. Call them at 740-591-2777 or email bill at alpinehvac.com. Alpine Heating and Cooling, helping you stay cool and drop it like it's hot. When the pimp's in the crib, ma, drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot. At Athens Cell Phone and Electronics Repair, we repair all brands of cell phones, tablets, and computers, including iPhones and Samsung devices. Whether it's a screen or battery replacement, logic board repairs, or charge ports, Athens Cell Phone and Electronics can fix it all. Why spend a bunch of money on a new device? With over 40 years of electronic experience, we'll repair your device for a fraction of the cost. We're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Saturdays from 8 a.m. to noon. Stop in and see us at Richland Avenue between Taco John's and McAfee's. Give us a call for a free estimate at 740-590-1677. The Athens Area Stand Down event will be held on Friday, October 4th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Athens County Fairgrounds. The event will help those in our area, including veterans that are most at risk for homelessness, to receive clothes, food, and information from area providers. Services include health checks, housing information, legal and employment services, and much more. Admission is free. Proof of military service is needed for all veteran services. Help end homelessness in Athens County. Go to AthensAreaStandDown.org for more information. When there's something strange lurking under your bed. Who are you going to call? Dustbusters! 
Athens Dustbusters are a licensed, bonded, husband and wife team that offer up top-of-the-line janitorial services at great prices, and they serve commercial and residences across Southeast Ohio. As the seasons change, don't worry about the cleanup. Call Athens Dustbusters at 740-541-7113 for a free quote. But don't just take our word about the Athens Dustbusters. Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm John. And we're Athens Dustbusters, and we will bust your dust. Good Wednesday morning. You're tuned in to Make It Happen with Kim and Ruth. And we have a special guest in the studio with us. Ed's been here before, actually, probably around this time of year. We <laughs> seem to make that phone call. Ed Brown, who's the Ag and Natural Resources Educator at the OSU Extension Office here in Athens. You probably cover more than Athens County. Nope. But just, nope just a, I help He's all County. ours. Yes, but officially I'm in Athens County. <laughs> there we go. So he's our educator. Um, so we always ask Ed to come in and help us get ready for the fall, help us get ready in our gardens, maybe our yards in general. But he knows so much more. So uh, so don't be limited by your fall garden information because we were just talking about houseplants and he's, he's in the know. So we're going to start out with our telephone number so that you can get ready and call Ed, because you probably will want to. We had, we've had most of our questions answered in the short amount of time we've had him here in the studio before we got on the air, but uh, you may have questions. So give us a call at 590-592-6646 if you have a question for our Ag and Natural Resources Educator at the OSU Extension office. And Kim, Valentour is raising her hand. <laughs> I know. I need to dial in, right? Mm-hmm. I should have brought my cell phone in. So before I um, do what I'm sometimes good at doing and like hijacking this whole conversation mm-hmm. and show about fall gardening, um, I'll just do it right at the beginning, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I just have a question. And I, cause I think a lot of our listeners might be curious because a lot of us have home gardens or flower beds and this and that. Was there anything this year that you know of sort of more widespread that was like, this was just a bad year for Bill blank. blank. Hmm. Oh, you know, that that's a good question because we do have bad years. This yes, year, <laughs> the the worst part was the beginning of the season because of the rain and the wet oh, conditions, yeah. getting, getting things in. Uh, it really stopped a lot of people from getting in an early garden. Once that kind of settled down, it really turned into a good year this year. Uh, like last year, we had a really bad year for tomatoes. This year, it seemed real nice. It, it dried out like it was supposed to later in the summer. It had the conditions that were ideal for most of our gardens this year. Uh, if we just could have cut out a little bit of the early rain, we would have had a perfect season this year, I would say. Okay. Okay. So the fact that the Valentors had a bad year for tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That's it's just you. Yeah. <laughs> what did he hear? Yeah. Okay. We can move on now, right? You should Shoot. see my tomatoes. They look beautiful right now. <laughs> oh, well, what else you got, Kim? You know, I would say, you know, we, we talk about closing down the garden this time of year, but really we're getting into just another whole season. I start, I put out planting guides every month of what you can plant, and we're going to be planting stuff. Now it's all starting in our cool season vegetables, uh, which is, if you didn't know, there's cool season and warm season vegetables. The ones that are considered cool season are usually the ones that you eat the plant itself. You eat the leaves, the flowers, mm-hmm. the stem, the root. So that's generally what grows in cooler conditions. And so we're just starting to plant all those right now through probably even the first part of October. 
Um, so we still have a lot of growing days left um, that we can put some stuff in here. We can even put spinach in and maybe in second week of October if you really want really to get adventurous. That's kind of our hardiest plant out there. But <clears throat> this is definitely not a time to just stop growing. So so what's the list? So it, kale, it, it, spinach? All your lettuces, okay. your uh, cauliflower, broccoli, cabbages. Okay. Uh, anything like that you think that you're going to eat the plant uh well the only thing we you know it's a cool season it's is that you eat the pot it would be a like a snap pea or something we usually don't grow those in the fall you can try it's usually the warmer beginning here because it's such a fast grower these warmer conditions that we have here in uh late august early september so it's not ideal for it to start um so that could be a bit but all the other ones we've already started and you should be getting them in the garden what about carrots Carrots are uh, interesting. Uh, I usually don't have, people don't plant a lot of carrots here. It's usually not the right, it's a heavier clay soil and stuff. So if you have an improved garden where you brought it in the soil and you have that deep root depth that it can go into, you could try to grow some. I just don't see a lot of people having, you usually end up with little stubby carrots or or misshapen ones and stuff. Uh, So I, I usually just try those in the spring and I don't try to do them this time of year. I go <laughs> check too. <laughs> so that's right. You know what? I plant my carrots in the spring, and I get them in the fall. <laughs> they're yeah. like they're like in there the whole time, and yeah. then it's like, oh, I forgot I planted these, and here they are. Yep. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say about planting things now, and for two reasons. One, I think it's really interesting. I never thought of it or read about it like this, where you said fall plants are the kind. Think about you eat the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. And then, two, I just last week, uh, last weekend actually, planted some, a few seeds. I planted some radishes, some lettuce, arugula, and I planted some carrots, too. <laughs> um, Hope springs eternal. I know. I know. Well, you know what I did with the carrots, You'll though? get baby carrots. I put the carrots in these large pots. Right. Oh, that's with, good. With soil. So I made my own soil amendments and everything, and I, they're outside now, and so I'm watering them now. We do have a greenhouse. It's not a heated or doesn't have any kind of, you know, official ventilation to it. So I, my thought was that if it starts to get too cold and those carrots aren't mature because I'm going to be optimistic, I will move them inside the greenhouse to keep them a little warmer, but maybe that's not a good... <laughs> that might be a good idea because uh, when we plant things in containers, uh, anytime we get the real cold conditions, the a pot will freeze a lot faster than being in the ground. Right. And so, yeah, you're going to help extend that. Because otherwise, I'd say you have a much shorter growing season if you grow in pots. But if you're able to bring it in, let it continue to grow for several more weeks, you have a better chance of success. Yeah, I'll have to uh, report back on that, (laughs) that that success or failure. But I always get so amazed at how quickly arugula and radishes germinate. Right. I mean, we're talking three and a half days, mm-hmm. and the entire row was germinated. And I, I just stare at it. I just look at it and stare at it because it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, because we could have little uh, radishes in three weeks. We could have immature, if you're just talking about the small ones and stuff. And so that's a quick, you could even do several crops. You could plant some this week, plant another set next week, and keep it going until it's almost freezing time. <clears throat> and right. then we're, 
And therefore, you have plants all, you know, throughout the fall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, hearing you say that this is a good time to be planting, too, also struck me because this past week as I'm planting my seeds and I look at the back of the seed packets or I'm looking at other resources, books, or the Internet, and they talk about really taking these things and being planting them at the end of July and August. And I thought, oops, <laughs> oh, <what a> late. <laughs> and a lot of those plants, like the, we're talking about the broccolis and cauliflowers, most of those who have been started from seed so they have a they're going to transplant them now so they we like them to be seeded in late july if we can to get that start okay. before you put them out <clears throat> it's a little too early to start them in the garden in july because of the uh, hot weather right but if you can start them indoors and, and get the seed going and then it's now we're going to start seeing a little bit cooler temperatures and that's ideal time to actually get them in the garden i have never really been a fall gardener mm -hmm. And I always get my interest peaked, of course, when we have this conversation. Do they sell those that's starts? The, that's the hardest part because most most of our commercial growers are geared towards They're that done. spring. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's hard to gauge the interest or get enough sales to justify bringing that many plants in to a store or something. So you're kind of on your own. I've noticed mm -hmm. that uh, when you get to the fall, uh, starting your own seeds or finding someone. Now, there might be local producers uh, that have some that, you know, do, if we check at the farmer's market, so I'm not sure who's got them right now, but that could be another option. Right. You could go to White's Mill. All right. They, they have some seedlings. Oh, they do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. good. You know, I and I think I never really think about fall gardening because I, I, I feel like things are slowing so. down. I mean, and I tried to find the word for it because I thought for sure if we have a word like gloaming, mm -hmm. you know, that, that period of the day where the sun is setting... It's kind of like that in the season, right? Mm -hmm. You can feel everything is getting it's still kind of pretty green, but you can tell things are not busting out of the ground right. like they used to be. Is there is there a word for that? No. <laughs> Let's make one up. No, so we have to make something up. And because of the way the the summer is a typical summer, you know, the the rainfall slow down and stuff. So a lot of our cool season grasses in the yards are not growing, so you're not mowing as much, mm -hmm. and that kind of contributes to that. You don't see that lush growth and stuff as right um and so some of those and uh, other plants if you notice some of the trees since the water's they're starting to lose some of their leaves just to help conserve water uh so i have a lot of leaves coming down right now certain trees are more notorious than others uh for losing the leaves so that helps you know bring on that hey you know falls here and we're you know right. things are going to be coming pretty soon but right um, and actually, if we get you know, cooler temperatures and a little bit wetter conditions, the yards and stuff will actually green up a little bit more as soon as we get into the fall time. Yeah. You know, I think one reason I like a little bit of fall gardening is because I finally feel, I mean, in the spring, it's like all about, like, I can't believe the sun is shining and we're so energized about getting out of our winter mm -hmm. mode and doing that. But by fall... The fall gardening for me is on a much, much smaller scale, so I feel like I'm not so overwhelmed with the garden and weeds. I can plant a little row of radishes, a little row of lettuce. I can watch it grow. I can tend it. I can harvest it. And then I don't feel like I have, like, an acre to weed and to yeah. water. So I, I do have a question about that. So in this kind of slow-feeling, growing part of the end of summer beginning of fall there it is mm -hmm. <laughs> um do is is fall gardening maybe more successful in terms of being able to manage weeds are there I, fewer weeds in the fall it, it is because a lot of them have already gone through their life cycle 
Okay. They, they come out, and they've already dropped their seed, and they're finishing up. They're not going to restart anything new. Another good advantage is the insects. Insects also have a cycle. Mm. And so they've already passed, most of them passed their one or two life cycles, and they're not going to be as much insect pressure in the fall. Uh, so that always helps out. So you, you can, the only thing you're really fighting in the fall is when that first frost is. Right. And freeze and stuff. But other than that, everything else is really geared more for success in fall, fall gardening. What about now herbs? Because they're leafy, but but they're also pretty summery. Right. Can, can I start? And, and, and we have a list we can give. Uh, there are certain weeds, uh, certain herbs that are um, planted and they're from the Mediterranean area. Those are not going to be winter hardy. But then uh, we have a whole other group that are hardy that will, if you have them planted in the ground, uh, they're going to survive and come back next year. I think I've had parsley do that. Yeah. Is parsley one of those Parsley's hardies? Parsley one that you can, it'll, it'll return. Okay. Right. Can you give us some examples of the Mediterranean? That sounds so like, <laughs> like fancy. Ro- I love it. <laughs> rosemary and basil and some of the more popular ones that you would, uh, thyme, you could probably uh, keep it going here. Uh, I'm trying to think. What, Maybe just, oregano. Oregano is, a, is tender. It's going to be a Mediterranean. We so have those a, are the summer. Right. Okay. okay. We've got a big old sage plant that mm-hmm. had just wintered over right. in front of the health department. Sage it's does just great here. going crazy. Yeah. yeah. Sage yeah. does great here. So I if anybody remember. anybody in Athens County needs sage, just oh, come yeah. and get it <laughs> in the front of the health department. <laughs> sage. I did have a parsley plant once that we were still able to harvest for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looked great. I, did, I, I have too. Last week or so, I might have covered it up. I started, you know, really anticipating the, the need for Thanksgiving, and I think a frost was coming, so I went out a couple nights and covered it up with some with some row cover or some plastic or something to save it because it was still green. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, but I I do know there is a point where if you can bring those herbs inside, right, right. So at the risk of frost, right at the risk okay. of frost. That's right. Just thinking, you know, somebody's living in the Mediterranean, they're not going to like much frost at all. So. As soon as that first chance, just put them in a nice windowsill. Uh, there's, and you can keep trimming them as long as you don't overdo it in the kitchen. If you have a kitchen window, you can put them in and you maybe do like a third at any one time to let them regrow. Right. Um, dill is one of those ones to give you a little oniony flavor and they're really easy. You can fill a whole pot with, yeah, not dill, um, with, I was thinking dill, chives. Chives, just chives mm-hmm. is what I was thinking. Dill is not, dill is almost like a weed. It grows outside and... <laughs> uh, during the summer, it's a purely summer plant, but it will. Gen- and that's another one, something like dill. It will regenerate because it's it's more native to our area. It'll just keep dropping seeds, so it will be the same plant. But you always always have dill every year because it produces thousands of seeds, and it's always going to have a new new batch every year. So, if you're bringing herbs in in the winter, you shouldn't think of them as an indoor garden necessarily. Right. You're just protecting them till the grow- next growing right. season. They're going to slow down their growth. You can okay. still use them in cooking and stuff, but it's just going to be a, a slower bit. regrowth mm-hmm. than you would would have been during the summer when they're out there. They got the moisture, the and the fertilizer and all that, and it, you can feed them a little bit, but they're okay. just going to be a little bit slower in the in the winter time. Okay. What about some of those perennial vegetables? Or fruits that are in your garden um, that normally you would they're, they're more of a spring type thing like asparagus or rhubarb mm-hmm. um, we've got uh, small beds of both and right now my rhubarb plant is looking pretty fabulous mm-hmm. <laughs> and the asparagus all came back up yeah so the, should should that have happened because John and I are looking at it thinking 
Your mm-hmm. rhubarb looks good right now. Right now. Hmm. The plant does. Yeah. Not, okay. I'm not harvesting, but the plant looks amazing. Because mine is shriveled and gone for the season. For the season, yeah. yeah. Well, I had several, and I have one in particular <clears throat> that my friend gave me that is like <laughs> a monster. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, and... Uh, I'm you, that friend, Ed, if you didn't catch okay. that, <laughs> that nuance there. <laughs> well, the, the asparagus, you know, they have the ferns, and this time of year we'd be expecting you to go through right. and mow, mow those all down, and they're yeah. ready for the winter. I okay. mean, they're done, should be done growing and stuff. If you get some new regrowth, you could try to harvest the spears, but... Um, so should we let them just grow, or should we be cl- cutting them down at this point? I, 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 you can let them grow a little bit, because they're going to be producing energy and stuff, but you got to get them mowed down before the freeze and stuff comes on. Okay. Uh, this winter, so if okay. they get a little, sometimes the people will get a little fall harvest of those. Yeah. I do. I am getting a couple little asparagus spears. Yeah. But my rhubarb, I don't even know where it was. I mean, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it'll do fine. Yeah, just going through the winter here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. and I think especially if you have new asparagus, right? You want those ferns to just grow for a while. Right. You're right. If, yeah, mm. if you get a couple good years growth, because that's what's really making the energy for the plant is those ferns. They're, they're don't taking that sunlight and bringing the nutrients down to those roots and stuff and getting it stored up. So when we get to wintertime, it's got the energy to put out those new spears in the spring. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you a garlic lover? Uh, I, you know, I work with people with garlic, and I like garlic. I'm not a, a garlic connoisseur. <laughs> But I, I, I worked with some interesting people. There's actually some <laughs> professional garlic growers in that area. And I've gone to their farms, one in Hawking County and stuff. And he sells on the Internet. He has about 20 different varieties. Wow. So if you go to his place, that's all he has on his place is all these different varieties of garlic. And it's very interesting to see. Um, and this is a good time to pl- be planting your, your garlic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They go in. Uh, the hard neck <clears throat> varieties do better in our area than the soft neck. Because soft necks are more geared towards, like I said, more uh, temperate, like uh, Mediterranean areas. So right. They and our heavy clay soils and stuff. They don't do the hard necks. They were more in like uh, Croatia and stuff where they were developed, and so they like these heavy, wet soils. They don't mind them at all, and they come through our winters just fine. And then they'll be out next year. How do I know if I have a? It, are it's you all about, uh, hardy neck? A hard neck. Hard neck. A, a, yeah. Um, you, you have to look at the varieties, and some of them, that's all they'll put them, uh, like there's a, I don't want to get wrong because I don't know all my garlic varieties, but uh, something like a Ro- Rochambeau or something like mm-hmm. that, that's considered one of the main hard neck okay. varieties. Because my scapes are always pretty hard. Oh, yeah, the scape, So yeah. is, is it going to be hard whether it's a soft neck yeah. or, okay. Yeah, yeah the scape, the scape. Then I'm be. totally confused. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can plant the scapes, and they will turn into a new. Really? Yeah. So you don't, it's not just garlic bulbs that right. you can plant. Yeah. I most had people, no idea. Most people don't do that. They just take the bulb. It's yeah. a lot easier to use the bulbs and stuff. But, I mean, if you really want to, you know. Or it will, uh, uh, if you let it go, what it, it does a flower. Mm-hmm. It's going to turn into a flower. And, um, yeah. You can try that, Ruth. I'm yeah. going to go buy the bulbs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I say that just if you're trying to, uh, yeah, just try to pr- uh, try something new. But I usually don't recommend it. <laughs> Interesting. He looked at me when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked, Kim, a second about soil amendments, and I, I'm not exactly sure. I think I know what those are. But, like, what do you amend your soil in the fall? Do you do it every fall? Uh, I'm usually looking at the plants. Uh, if you've done a, a general fertilizer, 
through the season. It shouldn't. You should just continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do it too much, especially the nitrogen. The nitrogen can be a big uh, detriment to your garden. I usually like more the phosphorus and the potassium, which are the last two numbers on a fertilizer, because nitrogen will give it a boost of energy, kind of like sugar, and it, and sometimes it'll make the plant grow really wild. I mean, very quickly, but it makes it kind of weaker. So when we get cold conditions, it'll actually kill it faster. So I, I'll be a little bit more sparing. Okay. Well, we have a caller, mm-hmm. so let's listen. Do you have a question for Ed about gardening? Well, I. Um, I do. Um, this is about mums. Okay. Oh, good. No, good. good. Mum season. Right. Mums. I love mums. And um, I went to, um, uh, well, I get, I get them at Lowe's and then I plan them, but they never come up. And next year, I mean, you know, they say that they're seasonal and all that, but I have problems planning the mums. They, they never come up around here. Where I live, I live in Athens. Mm-hmm. I know there's some clay in the soil and all that, but I nourish them and everything, and they they just don't come back. That, okay. And I'm going to hang up, and you can tell me about it. Thank you, sir. Okay. Good question. Mm-hmm. So, to be successful with mums, mums are not cold hardy here oh, in our okay. area. And what we will do is most of the time when you plant a mum, if you you plant at good soil conditions, and minutes up, and it grows really well this year and it has a full growing uh, time before we freeze, what we're counting on is the seeds from the mums being dropped, and that's being the new plant Mm -hmm. for next year. So we're not looking at that plant coming back year after year. We're looking at it kind of like any of our, a lot of our other plants we have here, if they have the flower and stuff, we're really counting on the flowers to produce seeds that will be dropped and replenished and stuff. So if it doesn't get to the point either it produces seeds or that they're not been uh, fertilized, maybe by pollinators, wind and stuff, to get them pollinated, you could have a lot of sterile seed. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I'm not in, in tune enough with the uh, greenhouse thing that if they have sterile seeded varieties and that they're not oh, going to come see. back. It could be I a potential. See. I don't know one way or the other on that. It, but they do that with a lot of plants that they don't actually reproduce at, in our area so so that could be a big issue is just either the seeds are not viable on the next generation so how long do those plants do you think have to be established before they're going to well, regenerate and until that flower completes its cycle so it goes up blooms and starts to die off okay just like any other plant like a, if you think about a sunflower stuff it gets and then it kind of turns brown right. and the, yeah. the petals fall off and that's when the seeds start to mature and then they eventually fall fall out. So okay. it's got to be able to get to a full mature seed I see on that saying. flower yeah. okay. before it, it, it falls off into the ground. You know, I've had that same experience with mums because they are labeled hardy. And, and we are, as customers, mm-hmm. buyers, led to believe. But so many years, I can totally empathize with our caller. I planted mums, planted mums, and not a single one ever returned. So what I did, because I do love flowers, and I love, in the fall, that's the thing I miss about summer, is a lot of those annuals that are very, like, you know, vibrant and colorful are are gone now so I just decided and resigned myself to putting my mums in pots mm-hmm. and enjoying them for the season but not feeling that frustration of having them not return mm-hmm. next year. I mean and I think what they're trying to say Hardy I don't know if they're you know they'll go through a lot cooler conditions than any of our other flowers and they'll be in there a lot later yeah, in the season yeah. and so you're not going to lose them mm-hmm. 
soon as it gets cold, right. you're, you're going to be able to have a pretty long growing season. But to be completely cold hardy through a winter and stuff, I think it's a little bit much to ask for it. You might get mm-hmm. lucky, and I've seen some that's protected. It's in the right exact location, mm-hmm. and it might come back. Right. Uh, but it's not something I would ever guarantee, and I usually tell people with mums like that, don't count on it. Feel blessed if you I have get it mums. come back. Do I say that out loud? Yeah. I've had mums come back. Okay. You don't say that out loud. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's so hard. No, yeah. Yeah, no, but not recently, but yeah. I think yeah. that's interesting. So do they self-pollinate? The, uh, or do you have to have a couple? Uh, they're going to be on the plant. I'm not sure what all the pollinators, I think, uh, and I said I'm not a mum expert on that one, but um, probably wind would do it okay. And okay. you might have to have some insect help or, or combination or either or. A lot of those will do that. Okay. All right. That sounds good. So I have a question. My husband and I were um, sort of surveying our property of the day and decided there was this one kind of, not a large area, but in our backyard where we were going to dig it up and connect it with the rest of the landscape. And we got motivated to go ahead and do it now rather than put it on the spring project because me, (laughs) I said, you know, it would be good because I can go around and buy some of the perennials that I want you know, shrubs or hostas mm-hmm. or something, and they're all going to be on sale. Mm-hmm. And though, so and so, that's my plan. But am I crazy for thinking that? Like, is fall not a good time to plant those kind of perennials because they're not going to be looking their most beautiful as they have earlier in the season? Oh, right. And, and this is that's what I like to do. I go go around and uh, see spot plants I like, and I wait for them. Everything else to be sold, and see what what's left, and because uh, I know uh, fall is a great time because. Those plants, as long as they're in the ground and the roots are protected, uh, and, and you might want to put a little bit more mulch around them, stuff just to keep the soil a little bit more warm during the winter time to protect them because they don't have a big root system at that time. Uh, but I love to plant stuff in the fall. The, a lot of a lot of the perennials and the biggest uh, thing that you have here is you don't have the wet ground this time of year. So if you're trying to do it in the spring, sometimes you're fighting a lot of water and stuff, and it can actually that could be harder on the plant. When you, that you're trying to plant then then this conditions where you can kind of control it so you put them in you want to keep them watered so they can put some roots in give them some fertilizer especially the the higher in the phosphorus and the potassium because that's what makes winter hardiness and stronger roots okay. on that and get them established just in the in the ground and i'd say that you're gonna have a lot of good success and, a lot, and some people plant trees uh, and, I'm glad and you brought up trees. Fruit, fruit trees yeah. and stuff. A lot of them will go in in the fall, uh, as long as they have a little time to get in the ground and stuff. Uh, but yeah, they'll they'll do great once you get them planted. But some people, you know, you put it off and they, and they stay in the pot and they're on top of the ground. That's when you run into problems and they actually don't get planted. So September is a good time to plant. Oh yeah. Don't wait until October. Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, it's hit or miss in October. You can go into October, but you just be. Keep an eye on the weather and make sure yeah. you have a good, a decent window. Uh, yeah. yeah. Are you a seed saver? Uh, no, I'm not. I work with the seed savers yeah. and I always give out, but I've never saved seeds myself. Yeah. I, that's another show. We'll have to we'll have to do that. <laughs> so we have like a minute. And, mm-hmm. I, and you know, the one thing about Ed, he does have some uh, crystal ball, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I thought so. <laughs> so like, because I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I asked him, I'm like, can you give us like... Any kind of glimpse into what the winter might look like, standing on the edge of summer and whatever. So, so I have you know two different methods we could use. One, I look <laughs> at the uh, climatic conditions with El Ninos, La Ninas, and stuff. 
none of those. We had a real weak El Nino, and it's kind of uh, going out right now. So that's not going to affect much, which uh, might give you some differences. And um, so the other one, if you talk to, if you have persimmon trees, if you want to go to the talk to the persimmon talk, trees, you, know, you cut the <laughs> seed open and it has a shape, a shape of a spoon, a shape really? of a fork, or a shape of a knife. And that's what the old timers would tell you how to predict whether if it's the shape of a knife, it, uh, which is actually it's, it'll be white in there, then it means it's going to be a cold and cutting winter. If it's the uh, if it's the shape <laughs> of a fork, you're going to be it's going to be more mild and you'll eat well. And if it's the shape of a spoon, then you'll be shoveling a lot of snow. Ooh. Oh my god. So, hey. so, but it's a little early. Yeah, you have to wait for the seeds to, to mature and develop, and and the start dropping the persimmons to start dropping before you can cut them open and tell that. But so that's your two different methods. Okay. We got, you know, we got the scientific and the, okay. the old time persimmon method. And when are persimmons right? They're gonna. They're just. They're. They're still green and stuff now. They're gonna be through the fall here. It almost takes a good uh, frost on them before you. Get, they get sweet and get that good uh, flavor on them. So we got a little while to wait on the persimmons. Okay. We're doing it. We are totally We're doing it. Into the studio. And, it, and if yeah. we forget and somebody else does it who's listening, you better call in and let us know what you found inside your persimmon. The hardest part is taking a knife and trying to cut open the little seeds to see the see the root in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to follow up on that. I know. So if you do it, Ed, okay. you're going to have to let us know. I I pe- took a peek at the um, Farmer's Almanac, mm-hmm. and from what this little picture shows, we might it's going to be a wintry, snowy uh, winter for us. So they must have already cut into the persimmon. Then maybe they did. <laughs> or, yeah, they I don't know. Must have seen spoons. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to match it. We'll have to get a second opinion out of our persimmon and see mm-hmm. what, what, it yeah. what about yeah. What about woolly worms? That's oh, yeah, no, that's another one. The woolly okay. worms. Yeah. Okay. What's the woolly worm? If they're, I forget, mostly brown or mostly black, or yeah. which is it? It's one of those. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, because mostly brown is normal. If they're mostly black, and I'm not sure if that. Which direction that sent Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back That's to the that. mystery. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, right. Ed. Always a pleasure to have you in the studio. I feel more ready for the fall. I hope our listeners do as well. Um, not too late to start a fall garden. No. That's what I'm planning yeah, to do. So now we're going to have to hurry out and get the sales of those plants that yeah. I've told everybody. Yeah, that would be <laughs> our secret. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining us. Another great Wednesday morning on Make It Happen with Kim and Ruth and this morning with Ed Brown. Um, So happy that you joined us and we wish you well on your winter or not yet winter, summer, summer ending, fall enter. Um, But we'll be back next week on Make It Happen.
Veteran-owned True Blue is raising the bar in plumbing with the best guaranteed prices and superior quality. Using the latest in plumbing technology, True Blue has the capability to identify problems in your pipes. Or inspect for home purchase using a full-color camera while capturing video and watching in real time. They're committed to providing you honest and upfront service and offer free return service if the problem isn't fixed. Call them 24-7 at 740-590-5400. With a lifetime of experience and a desire to be the best in the business, True Blue is committed to being true to you. This is the voice of the Buckeyes, Paul Keels. Ohio State begins the 2019 season Saturday, August 31st as they host Florida Atlantic. We'll be on the air from Ohio Stadium beginning at 10.30 a.m. with the AEP Energy Buckeye pregame show, followed by the kickoff at noon here on the Ohio State Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Catch the Ohio State University Buckeyes right here on 970 WATH and 97.1 FM. Fairhope celebrates life. If you're facing an end-of-life situation, Fairhope Hospice and Palliative Care. It is never too soon to call. Fairhope is here to listen. You don't have to face it alone. Fairhope cares for your loved one where they live. Or, during times of stress, the Pickering House is a serene setting providing relief for the patient. To learn more about Fairhope's care from the heart, please call 1-800-994-7077. Fairhope Hospice, we celebrate life. This is the sound of a racing heart. It's beating a little faster because it belongs to a young child. But this child isn't in the middle of a close soccer game or playing with her puppy in the yard. Her heart is racing because she's just been told she has to move foster homes again. Change a child's story. There's a child waiting for a volunteer like you. Learn more at AthensCasa.org. If you see news happening, call 740-205-8615. That's 740-205-8615. It could win you $50 in gift certificates from True Blue Plumbing, Alpine Heating and Cooling, Air Claws, and the station that's first with news in Southeast Ohio, 970-WATH. Good, good morning, good friends, on this wonderful Wednesday We've got the Fisher today, Dick Hames, and leading ladies, great female singers with Polly Bergen. Let's fall in love. Well, as I saw that day, CD kind of uh, giving a problem, so let's listen to Dick Hames. I'll get by. Bye. 
Thank you, Dick Hames, this morning for that great song, I'll Get By. And now we go to Someone to Watch Over Me with Helen Forrest. There's a somebody I'm longing to see. I hope that he turns out to be someone who'll watch over me. I'm a little lamb who's lost in the world. I know I could always be Although he may not be the man some girls think of as handsome, to my heart he carries the key. Won't you tell him, please, to put on some Someone to watch 
All right, that's uh, enough of that one right now. We're going to have to reset that one. But I have a pleasure to say today, this big fellow right behind me, I just probably wouldn't know who, who would know, you would know who it is. He is having a birthday today. And I think that uh, just might be up in quite a bit up in the years, but I'm not going to tell him much. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow? I'm sorry. Yeah. It is tomorrow. Yeah. So we'll uh, celebrate again tomorrow with the <laughs> <laughs> sentimental journey in and out for 970 WHH. Uh,
The Athens Bulldogs return to the gridiron and 970 WATH Friday when they welcome the Jackson Ironmen to Rudder Field on the Plains. Junior Joey Moore was sensational in his varsity debut, completing 24 of 38 passes for 278 yards and three touchdowns during a loss at Waverly. The Ironmen, meanwhile, took care of county rival Wellston 23-6 on Saturday night. Friday's showdown between Athens and Jackson can be heard live on 970 WATH with pregame at 715 and a kickoff at 730. The John W. Clem Recovery House is hosting a breakfast fundraiser on September 14th. The Clem House is a recovery house that provides adult men a structured program and safe haven to assist them in their efforts to recover from drug and alcohol dependency. Doors open at 8.30 a.m. and the presentation will start at 9 a.m. at the Dairy Barn, 8000 Dairy Lane in Athens. Come support the John W. Clem Recovery House at their breakfast fundraiser on September 14th. This event is presented by Holzer, the 317 Board, Integrated Services, and Ohio Health. Weenie Wednesday. Hungry? Larry's Doghouse on West Union Street has corn dogs and regular-sized hot dogs for just 99 cents each. Mmm, Larry's. Weenie Wednesday. Did you know that a full 10% of all drivers admit to driving when their check engine light is on? That light is your vehicle's way of telling you there's a problem, and if left unattended, can lead to bigger problems. So if your check engine light is on, visit Russell's Riverside Auto Repair, the go-to guys for automotive repair. They'll run the most up-to-date diagnostics, fix any problems, and get you back on your way. Russell's Riverside Auto Repair, 136 Columbus Road in Athens, or call 592-2723.
Since we're made of it, let's take a chance. Why be afraid of it? Let's close our eyes. Go of it. We might have been meant for each other to be or not to be. Let our hearts do. CBS News on the hour. Real news, real reporting. I'm Steve Kathan. Hurricane Dorian's hugging the southeast coast, starting a march from Florida to the Carolinas. National Hurricane Center Director Ken Graham says flooding is a major concern. It's really the rainfall. You talk about the rain that's going to occur in the next couple days for Florida, for Georgia, and the possibility of 10 to 15 inches right along the coast of South Carolina and North Carolina. The storm's a Category 2, top sustained winds holding at 105 miles an hour. CBS's Jamie Ukas in Charleston says there are concerns about the strong winds. The government has closed today, schools have closed today, and a little bit later this afternoon, the airport will close because we are expected to see 60 mile per hour winds or greater a little bit later. Officials in the Bahamas expect the hurricane death toll will rise. At least seven were killed as Dorian's powerful fury destroyed nearly everything in its path. CBS's David Begno is covering. The United Nations estimates 60,000 people in the Bahamas have had their homes flooded and are in need of food and water. 60,000 people. The Red Cross estimates nearly 99% of people living in Grand Bahama and Abaco Islands are in need of some kind of assistance. Food, water, something. The government's fined YouTube $170 million. This will settle allegations that it collected kids' personal data without the consent of parents. Joan Salzman of CNET says it comes as the site owned by Google makes changes to try to abide by federal laws. That will have not only a significant impact on what YouTube is like as an experience, but it'll also presumably change how YouTube makes money on a lot of these kinds of content. A government watchdog group has found immigrant children separated from parents at the southern border last year showed signs of post-traumatic stress and reunification added to the trauma. Divers will search for remains throughout the day. The victims of the scuba diving boat fire, 34, are presumed dead off the southern California coast, including Dominic Saga's mother and four other members of his family. You don't want to believe it. You want to hold on to that 1%. But at this point, it's, you know, my heart knows. From London, correspondent Mark Phillips has the latest on the tumultuous political battle over Brexit. Boris Johnson no longer has a majority in Parliament. The MPs in his own party that voted against him last night have been kicked out, including, by the way, the grandson of Winston Churchill. An election now seems the likeliest outcome. And as for Brexit, it seems it's ready for another delay.
The European Union is warning businesses today to prepare for Britain to leave without any formal deal. Wall Street, the Dow is up 177. This is CBS News. Hard-hitting investigations, in-depth interviews, and profiles of people in the news. 60 Minutes is America's number one news program. Sundays on CBS. This do-it-right savings tip is brought to you by The Home Depot. Get ready for fall and the changing weather by upgrading to smarter windows and doors with the help of The Home Depot. You can find the latest styles in windows, entry and interior doors, and even storm and patio doors with guaranteed low prices on quality brands like Anderson. Saving on new windows and doors has never been easier. Visit homedepot.com slash doors and windows for details. The Home Depot, or saving or doing. Welcome to Sherwin-Williams. Hi there. I heard paints are 30% off. Yep, and stains too. Right here. Mm-hmm. Only at your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Right now? Well, August 29th through September 9th. Ah, bring it in. I'm a big hugger. It's cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams August 29th through September 9th and save 30% on paints and stains with sale prices starting at $26.94. Only at your local Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. A pop star and his Hollywood wife are singled out for styling. A high-profile celebrity couple shares this year's top fashion prize. Everyone on the beach is talking about you guys. Actress Priyanka Chopra and her husband Nick Jonas are number one on People's Best Dress List. The magazine's style director says they're exciting to watch, and he enjoys fashion as much as she does. Billy Porter, Serena Williams, Lady Gaga, and Celine Dion also make 2019's list. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Another new list sizes up the best and worst places to retire in the U.S. The website WalletHub, citing affordability, health care, and other factors, puts Orlando on top, followed by Tampa, Scottsdale, Arizona, Charleston, South Carolina, and Miami. At the bottom of the 182-city list, Stockton, California. Steve Kaith and CBS News. Are you more than $10,000 in debt? Feel like you're on a never-ending treadmill, staying in one place and never getting ahead with those minimum payments? Don't let the credit card companies bully you anymore. There are programs in place to help you get free of your debt, and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. The program at Total Financial Freedom can help you get debt-free in months instead of decades. Call Total Financial now at 800-899-8922. That's 800-899-8922. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack, but not with ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free.
sweet little girl to sing a sweet song. Here is Nancy Norman. Candy, I call my sugar candy because I'm sweet on candy and candy's sweet on me. And candy's always handy when I need sympathy. I wish that there were four of him so I could love much more of him. He has taken my complete heart, got a sweet tooth for my sweetheart candy. It's gonna be just dandy The day I take my candy And make him mine all mine It seems we stood and talked like this before We looked at each other in the same way then But I can't remember where or when The clothes you're wearing are the clothes you wore The smile you are smiling You were smiling then But I can't remember where Or when Some things that happen For the first time to be happening again And so it seems that we have met before and laughed before and loved before but So it seems that we have met before and laughed before and loved before, but who knows? 
Not as crazy as you think 
Imagine me, 83, wearing glasses And you, 92, making passes It doesn't sound bad And if it can't be had I'll buy that dream Imagine me with my head on your shoulder and you with your lips getting bolder A sky full of moon and a sweet mellow tune Ah, by that dream Imagine me in a gown white and flowery And you thanking Dad for my dowry A church full of folks and those last-minute jokes I'll buy that dream A honeymoon in Cairo In a brand new auto gyro Then home by rocket in a wink We'll settle down near Dallas In a little plastic palace It's not as crazy as you think Imagine me on our first anniversary with someone like you in the nursery Oh, it doesn't sound bad And if it can be had I'll buy that
first time I met you I hit the ceiling I could not forget you You were completely sweet Oh, what could I do? I wanted phrases to sing your praises That certain feeling The one they all love No use concealing I've got what they call love Now we're together Let's find out whether You're feeling that feeling too Honey, that certain feeling First time I met you That certain feeling I could not forget you I felt it happen just as you came in view Grew sort of dizzy and thought, wow, who is he? That certain feeling I'm here to confess it It's so appealing that no words can express it I cannot hide it, I must unfight it I'm feeling that feeling too confess it it's so appealing that no words can express it i cannot hide it i must confide it that you feel it honey i'm feeling stars are in the blue long as there's a spring a bird to sing I'll go on loving you till the end of time long as roses bloom in May my love for you will grow deeper With every passing day Till the wells run dry And each mountain disappears I'll be there for you to care for you Through laughter and through tears So take my heart in sweet surrender And tenderly say that I'm the one you love and live for till the end of time.
and each mountain disappears. I'll be there for you to care for you through laughter and through tears. So take my heart in sweet surrender and tenderly say that I'm the one you love and live for till the end of time
At Athens Cell Phone and Electronics Repair, we repair all brands of cell phones, tablets, and computers, including iPhones and Samsung devices. Whether it's a screen or battery replacement, logic board repairs, or charge ports, Athens Cell Phone and Electronics can fix it all. Why spend a bunch of money on a new device? With over 40 years of electronic experience, we'll repair your device for a fraction of the cost. We're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Saturdays from 8 a.m. to noon. Stop in and see us at Richland Avenue between Taco John's and McAfee's. Give us a call for a free estimate at 740-590-1677. To eat well is to live well. So do lunch the right way today. Pick up the phone and order something from Fusion Noodle Company. Or order online at FusionNoodleAthens.com. From Asian favorites, entree, or wrap style to classic pasta dishes, Fusion Noodle Company will deliver it fresh and fast using local ingredients. Fusion Noodle Company, open every day, 11 to 11, 30 West Union, Uptown Athens. Alpine Heating and Cooling is a local, veteran-owned HVAC contractor providing you comfort with their best guaranteed prices, 24-7 emergency service, 10-year warranties on new systems, and free estimates. Alpine, with a Y, uses quality products from top brands like Ream and LG. Call them at 740-591-2777 or email bill at alpinehvac.com. Alpine Heating and Cooling, helping you stay cool and drop it like it's hot. When the pimp's in the crib, ma. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. Buy the Reds' Pick 6 plan, presented by McDonald's, and receive an exclusive oversized Joey Votto bobblehead. You can pick any six games, including fireworks Fridays and bobblehead Saturdays, while saving up to 25%. Plus, you get six McDonald's Extra Value Meal vouchers. Be a part of the historic 150th anniversary season by purchasing the Reds' Pick 6 plan. Get yours today at Reds.com slash 150. Believe you found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or- yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Weenie Wednesday. Hungry? Larry's Dog House on West Union Street has corn dogs and regular sized hot dogs for just 99 cents each. Mmm, Larry's. Weenie Wednesday.
The Athens County Game of the Week returns Friday on Power 105 when the Trimble Tomcats travel to Belfry for the TBC Hawking season opener. Connor Wright rushed for 188 yards and three touchdowns. Quarterback Cam Kittle added 102 and two scores on the ground to lead the Tomcats past Nelsonville York last week. The Golden Eagles, meanwhile, hung in with heavily favored Fort Fry for a half before falling 34 to 12 in Beverly. Friday's TBC Hawking tilt between Trimble and Belfry can be heard live on Power 105 with pregame at 7:15 and kickoff at 7:30. All kids have superpowers. Court-appointed special advocates are community volunteers who advocate for children who are in foster care. For foster children, CASA volunteers help unlock their superpowers by building resilience and speaking up for kids. Support their effort by signing up for the Superhero Run. Learn more at www.athenscasa.org. Weenie Wednesday. Hungry? Larry's Dog House on West Union Street has corn dogs and regular sized hot dogs for just 99 cents each. Mmm. Larry's. Weenie Wednesday. With 10 years of professional lawn care experience, tackling yards for residents and business alike, mowing expert Joey Daniel wants to make your lawn look its best this summer. Joey Daniel Lawn Care Services take pride in using the best equipment available and services including mowing, trimming, yard waste pickup, and seeding, all at affordable prices. Call Joey Daniel for a free quote at 740-707-2491. References are available. Stay out of the heat and skip worrying about your lawn this summer. Call Joey Daniel Lawn Care Services today. 740-707-2491.
In our 69th year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. Is CBS News on the hour. Real news, real reporting. I'm Steve Kaith, and we need help is the plea from a government official in the Bahamas after a devastating hit delivered by Hurricane Dorian. CBS's David Begno is surveying the damage. The extent of Dorian's destruction across the northern Bahamas is immense. The damage stretches for miles. Entire neighborhoods flattened, homes shredded, shipping containers and boats hurled inland. It came over the roof. Howard Armstrong. Decide the gut-wrenching moment, water flooded his home, and his wife died in front of him. She was standing on top of the kitchen cabinets until they disintegrated, and she just drowned on me. At least seven deaths have been reported in the Bahamas. Dorian's now a Category 2 storm off the Florida coast. It's headed north, and North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper says... Unfortunately, we are reporting our state's first storm-related death today. An 85-year-old man fell from a ladder while getting his home ready for the storm. A government watchdog has detailed mental issues faced by immigrant children who've been separated from their parents at the southern border. We're live with CBS's Gary Nunn. The report found kids separated from their parents suffered serious mental health problems, including post-traumatic stress. Many were 